The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Matters, a show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode of Leadership Matters is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll be the moderator of our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. And together we work to help organizations to transform themselves in the present so we might help them to prepare their organizations for a better future. Today we're privileged to talk about the work of one of America's most storied organizations, Boys Town. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. With me today is our special guest, Father Stephen Bass. Father Steve has been the National Executive Director of Boys Town since 2005. There are many exciting things that could be said about the work of Boys Town during an introduction, but I'm going to let Father Stephen Bass tell the story. Father Steve, it's an honor to have you with us today. Would you please introduce yourself to our listening audience? Well, I'm Father Stephen Bass. Um, I'm the National Executive Director of Boys Town since 2005. Uh, I've been a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha since 1985 and grew up in Iowa, Nebraska. And uh, great to be with you today, Tom. Honored to have you here, believe me. There have been so many wonderful things that have been written about Boys Town over the years. Boys Town's one of the largest nonprofit child care agencies in America. Father Steve, would you please give us your elevator speech about the early history of Boys Town? Yeah, I think the thing that most people would be interested in, and maybe even a little bit uh, it would, would find unusual, is that Father Flanagan, when he began Boys Town almost 100 years ago, didn't start his work with homeless boys. He started by starting three shelters for homeless men. And when he was doing that, he wanted to test his impact on these men. And so he did a longitudinal study over three years where he tracked the uh, body, mind, and spirit measures of these men and discovered something kind of sad. Um, they were getting worse every year, despite his best efforts. And as he would listen to them, they would one by one tell him, Father, where were you when I was 12? Where were you when I was 14? You could have helped me then. It's too late for me now. And he became convinced intellectually, um, became convinced that he should start with a younger child, a younger age. And sure enough, the first 14-year-old boy showed up off the street, hungry and cold, and the rest is history. Um, what, he, what he learned from the kids, though, was just as interesting. They, the kids on the street were mostly runaways from the two failed systems that were in place at the time, the reform school and the Christian orphanage. 
Now, these sound like wonderful places for kids, but they were really kind of horror shows for the most part. Both of them worked children about 8 to 10 hours a day. The reform schools were rougher. They chained kids to the beds. They had bars on the windows. And many of them had large cemeteries where they put the children after they beat them to death. The Christian orphanage was a little nicer, a little easier to run away from, so there were more that ran away. But they were forcibly converted to whatever religion was running the orphanage. Um, so us Catholics, we'd baptize everybody Catholic, even if you were Jewish or Methodist or whatever. Flanagan looked at those two failed systems and said, there's got to be a better way. Um, he really opened up room in his heart for those kids and was looking for a better solution for them. And that's where there are no bad boys, only bad training, bad example, um, bad environment. And he built a new environment around these kids where they went to school most of the time, played sports, had religious freedom, and had a family-like environment. And that transformed the American system of care. Everybody um, started to use that system once they saw how effective it was. Outstanding. Well, you've been the National Executive Director of Boys Town now for a little over 10 years. Mm. Can you tell us what were the challenges that Boys Town was facing when you first became the Executive Director in 2005? Well, the previous director, Father Valentine Peter, had done a wonderful job of taking us across the nation to 14 sites. And that required a lot of capital investment. But what that did was we delayed um, uh, maintenance to, um, to the tune of, you know, 20 to $50 million, depending on how you count it. So that immediately began to be something that I started to budget for. And I also closed four of our sites because they were only running shelters, which were very underutilized, and it was able to consolidate our impact and use funds more efficiently. Um, so we did that, and then we did a strategic plan with the help of an organization called Bridgespan that really transformed our program mix from mostly residential to mostly community-based. In 2005, for example, we served 12,000 kids, and we pulled 75% of them out of their home to help them. Now, in 2015, we'll serve 32,000 kids and 90% will never leave home to get a Boys Town service. We'll put it right in their school, right in their neighborhood, even right in their home. That's wonderful. Are there any of the challenges that you found uh, when you first came that you're still wrestling with today, or are you facing a whole new set of challenges today? You know, what's interesting is that even though we moved away from primarily residential, there are a lot of voices in the marketplace of ideas about um, closing residential permanently. Um, so there's a lot of advocacy organizations that are pushing for that. And there, it is correct that much residential care is of low quality. Now, ours is of a high quality, and that I'll talk about how that's possible. But um, the problem with this idea of closing residential care altogether is that it's based on a flawed logic model that states that the answer to six or eight failed foster care placements is yet another foster care placement. Um, mm -hmm. We need to fight back against that. We, we emphasize and we created an integrated continuum of care. We want to get paid for performance, which will, I think, help with quality, and will ensure that the right kid gets the right care at the right time, which includes, we think, residential care. Well, it's been said that every leader uh, takes a little bit of time and then frames their own vision for the mm. future of their organization. Now, you've been offering a couple of the elements of the vision that you've developed, but what was the vision that you eventually framed for the future of Boys Town? Well, I think I took Father Flanagan's famous quote, there are no bad boys. 
Um, now he proved that by bringing over 100 child murderers to campus and showing that they could be transformed by a new environment. I'm building on that legacy, and I'm insisting equally that there are no bad families and there are no bad communities either. Um, for example, two of my own nephews and their families have benefited from Boy Sound Services, and I don't think of my family as bad, right? Nobody does. Mm-hmm. And right. likewise, I see a lot of strengths and potential in even the toughest neighborhoods in which our kids come and where our families live. So that really is where we're moving as an organization is to start reaching out to families more before the child needs to be pulled out of the home, and then trying to improve their community, much like Jeff Canada did in the Harlem Children's Zone with interventions with other nonprofits. Outstanding. Well, what do you think is going to be the hardest part of realizing your vision? I think that there's going to be a lot of culture change internally at Boys Town. We're used to kind of pulling the kids out of their home and, you know, putting the putting some beautiful things around them. Now we have to have the kids go home more often, and we have to work with tougher families. And that's that's a little messier business, and really trying to build a culture that can deal with that messiness. And then when you try to get into the community, now you control even less, right? So yeah. we have to teach our people that they need to work with other organizations and with churches and with uh, the public sector and try to make change happen in a neighborhood um, and it's a lot less control out in the community than it is in a residential program. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. An organization like Boys Town has a culture that is so rich and so deep mm-hmm. in taking care of kids. Must have been a challenge to, and of course it's probably not over, it's something <laughs> you always work on, but quite a challenge to move toward much more of a family focus and a community-based focus. Yeah, it was interesting. I was having supper in one of our residential homes, and somebody asked, you know, I just celebrated 10 years, and they said, well, Father Bates, how has it changed in 10 years? And I told them what I told you, that we pulled 75% of the kids out of their home, and now most kids stay home. And I said to the family teachers, well, why don't you tell them what's different? And they said, well, 10 years ago, you kids hardly ever called home, and you hardly ever went home. Right. And the, and the kids were like, you were monsters back then. <laughs> you know, because it's all they know. They have lots of contact with their family. They go back home as often as they can, especially as they're transitioning out. And mm-hmm. the family's no longer the enemy. And I think that's a culture shift we've made. But it's one that it really needs to happen in, in not just our agency, but every agency. And the community's not the enemy either. We're sending them back to communities that are, have troubles. But there's lots of strengths there, too. And how big a challenge has it been to establish that community orientation within the culture of the organization? I think what helps is that whenever Boys Town does anything, it does it with research. So we've, we, when we came up with this new strategic plan of trying to strategically pick neighborhoods, like maybe like Jeff Canada did, you know, a square block of Harlem or a square block of mm-hmm. South Omaha, you know, 10 square blocks, we, we started studying this and our people like data and they like a plan. Sure. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've, the studies we've shown, uh, we've looked at show that about 18.5% of the kids in a neighborhood need to have some positive intervention, some proven intervention for it to make a difference in the whole neighborhood. That's the tipping point. And so what that means is we have to, everybody pulls out the, the easiest 5% of kids and takes care of them. Like wonderful mm-hmm. programs like Big Brothers, Big Sisters and, you know, uh, after-school programs and things like that in school. But the kids that punch each other get kicked out. 
those are the kids we need to reach. To get to 18.5, you have to, you have to take care of some tough kids. And we're good at taking care of tough kids. Um, so we're going to end up working with schools and community groups to identify early families and youth that are troubled, get an intervention in there so we can reach that 18.5% tipping point. Fantastic. What is the special training that you offer to your staff that allows them to be good at working with the really tough kids? Um, we work, we use a, a training called um, Bridges Out of Poverty that, that helps people identify um, their own reactions to and understanding of the culture of poverty that begins to settle in in, in, in tough neighborhoods. And uh, they realize uh, a lot about themselves and, mm-hmm. you know, how judgmental that they, they are. And, and then they, and they also find ways of speaking to the, to the people that are more strength-based instead of blaming. Um, it's kind of, that's, that's really the training in essence. When you give somebody something to do with a family, they stop blaming and they start, you know, doing their work and, and, and helping. Outstanding. Well, we'll be right back after a short break. Please, everyone, stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me today is our special guest, Father Stephen Bass, the National Executive Director of Boys Town. Before the break, Father Bass was talking about the history of Boys Town, and he was reviewing the challenges that he inherited when he took over as the National Executive Director in 2005. Father Steve, one of the things that uh, is often said about Boys Town is that you've been remarkable in your ability to continuously reinvent yourself over the years. Where did this capacity for reinvention come from, and how have you sustained it over the years? Well, I really think a lot of that capacity for change comes from the inspiration of Father Flanagan. When he saw those two systems of care that were broken in the United States, he thought big. 
His mission was to change the American system of care. And that's a big mission. And it's continuously evolving. evolving. I mean, you, what you have to do is understand the current system, the ways in which it is, it is broken, and, and then propose new solutions and prove through research and practice that your solution actually makes a change. And I think that all the executive leaders of Boys Town throughout the years and, and really all of the key staff have picked up that challenge of Father Flanagan to have that big mission. Um, and that's how we've evolved really over the years. So how is it, now this is a simplistic question to a mm-hmm. very complex area, I understand that, but what signs do you look for when you are considering whether or not it's time to change? Um, well, for example, when we, our, our model of care, let's just say um, foster care, we mm-hmm. review our foster care model. We call it the Boys Town model of foster care. We'll review, do a re- complete review of the literature with PhD folks and folks that are practicing it every day. And then we will rewrite the manual every three to five years, depending on um, uh, which level of care it is. And mm-hmm. that's an example of kind of you know, tweaking the model, keeping it fresh, adding insights from brain science and other you know, academic studies, and making them practical so that they actually, you know, change our system of care. Just, just for an example, we used to be, in the early days, the Boys Town model came out of the teaching family model, and it was, it was pretty rigidly behavioral. And mm-hmm. throughout the years, it's become more cognitive behavioral as mm-hmm. that science has evolved. So I would say that's an example. You keep up with the research, you rewrite your manual, and then you test your fidelity um, so to that. We're, we're going to be uh, talking about your research in just a bit. Mm-hmm. But for right now, there are a lot of leaders in the field who are suggesting, and it obviously synchronizes with what you just said, mm-hmm. a lot of leaders are saying that experientially, if we don't redesign what we're doing, about every three years, that's mm-hmm. when we start to fall behind. Yeah, I believe you really have to keep up. I mean, Father Flanagan was somebody that believed in research right at the beginning when he was working with those homeless men. He wanted to find out if his intervention made a difference, not just in the short run, but in the long run. And I think keeping up, researching the way your program actually works in the real world, and then going back to the science and finding out how the theory has changed and what seems to be proven interventions through research and bringing them on board is important. Well, Another thing that's often said about Boys Town is that you have a unique ability to raise funds to support your work. You recently reached the $1 billion mark with your endowment. Congratulations. That's absolutely a remarkable achievement. Now, I'm going to start off and ask a very simplistic question, and you can laugh at it, but... (laughs) If you, because I'm going to ask, how do you do that? But what I really would like you to do is talk about the philosophy that you use to engage people in right. your vision and get people to invest in that vision. Well, the simplistic answer to how we did it is we had a Hollywood movie made about us in 1938. <laughs> that helped. Yeah. <laughs> and that was back when something like 90% of Americans went to the movies. So sure. I think that in the United States at the time, 90 plus percent of people in the entire United States saw that movie. You couldn't hit that number with a blockbuster movie um, 
you'd have to have 10 blockbuster movies to even come close to that today. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, there were less, there's less media and it had a huge impact. And what happened was they built on the success of the movie with a very strong, um, direct mail program. And that raised money. So for example, in 1972, the Father Flanagan Fund for Needy Children, basically our endowment, was was at two hundred and forty four million dollars in nineteen seventy two, mm-hmm. and then since then we basically haven't added any money. The reason we've grown to a billion is that um, we've had really good um, investment team at Boystown and a mm-hmm. really good board that oversees their work made up of investment professionals. So governance of that investment area has paid off, but. So that fund, even though it's a billion now, or nearly a billion, we've spent, since 1972, $1.3 billion from wow. that fund to serve Boys Town kids across America. Wow. That's a remarkable accomplishment. Um, but, but going forward, we also have invested then in marketing and development professionals to continue not only the direct mail program, but to lead us into the newer ways of raising money online, you know, Twitter and Facebook and trying to engage people with your message. Um, and then we have a real strong major gifts program and um, people leave us in their estates and, and, and that, that helps a lot. But basically we have a million small donors across the United States who continue to give us $20 twice a week, twice a, twice a year, so about $40 each. Um, but that adds up, you know, even though there's high costs involved with mailing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, once you've gotten the money that is coming from your endowment, mm-hmm. and so you know that you have money to spend, how do you decide how you're going to reinvest that money in the work that you do? Reinvention and funding so often go hand in hand. Mm. Who's involved in making the decisions about how you're going to spend that money and what you're going to do with that money and and how how you're going to translate support into services? Well, I think everybody needs to know, and when you hear that very large amount, a billion-dollar endowment approximately, our annual budget's three hundred and. $40 $40 million. That's um, sizable. It's a big, that's a big budget. So like any good budget, uh, um, a budget has to be directed by a strategic plan. And we, mm-hmm. um, the Board of Trustees and our top executives, really the first kind of three layers of management, have a huge hand in forming our strategic plan. We take a look, you know, we do the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. But what we really asked, the question we really asked was, the question Father Flanagan asked, what would make the biggest impact on America's hurting families and kids? Mm-hmm. And then we say, how should we, we're entrusted with this great endowment. How should we go about changing the system of care? And so once we come up with this strategic plan, not only does the budget have to fit those priorities, but even our executive leader's performance is rated against their contributions to the strategic plan, including me. So if we don't hit our goals in the strategic plan, I don't get my full raise. Um, and in fact, I could get fired if I consistently aren't, I'm not hitting uh, certain marks. Um, but we're also not afraid to make tweaks to the plan as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not set in stone, but it's it's very, very strong business plan, well done, professional, f- 
Bridgespan is this organization that has professionals that come from, you know, Bain and Company and those kind of places that do professional um, business planning. So this is a, a very complex business plan that has very clear goals and metrics, so I know whether I'm achieving them or not. Well, one of the things that you mentioned is from the beginning, Father Flanagan was so focused on results. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that really has to benefit Boys Town um, because results and being responsible for results are built into your culture. Yeah, it is. And for so many organizations right now, as they go through the process of looking at reinvention, they're not necessarily looking at their results. No. And they're not necessarily looking to expand where they're successful, you know, and then redesign or eliminate those services that they may be offering that are not as successful. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'll give you an example. When we're doing our community work, we are going to work with a partner. Let's just say it's the United Way. And they're mm-hmm. going to do a survey of a neighborhood or, or this area around a couple of public schools. And then the neighborhood is going to decide what things they want to change. We want to lower pregnancy rates, lower juvenile arrests, lower out-of-home placements, um, increase parent participation in the school, increase graduation rates. But it's what they want, not what outsiders want. Those have to be things that can be measured. And we're really good at holding ourselves accountable to those things. And so we think when we do this community intervention, somebody else will hire us to hit some of those goals because we're good at some or we're not good at others. Mm-hmm. And we'll be working with others to achieve these goals. And we love competing and having to hit hard goals. Um, we do what it takes, and that's our culture. So you're really competing against yourself. Yeah. And, and, and your own and expectations. The tough problems that, that families have. Yeah. That's the best kind of competition. Yeah. We, you now offer services in 12 regions of the country. So it, maybe even though you touched on this earlier, maybe you can mm-hmm. just talk about why did you expand mm-hmm. and what do you do in those 12 regions and, and how do you keep track of everything? <laughs> well, um, the national expansion really was an effort to um, change the American system of care. And it was based on a previous um, strategic plan, not the ones I was involved with. It really was kind of a let's get out there and show them it can be done right. That was sort of the plan that I inherited. Um, and the way that you do it right is by tracking data. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we call it our fidelity model. We have a national database that tracks the behaviors of kids at all levels of care in our organization. And um, every level of our integrated continuum has data. If you can manage to data, you can fix problems before they get out of hand. And I'll just give you a concrete example. We track a million plus pieces of data a year, but some of them come up based on our algorithms, like if in a certain treatment family home, which is our residential care, we begin to see a higher incidence of horseplay, kids pushing each other around, calling each other names. If the family teachers aren't going in and fixing that, the staff aren't teaching to that, we know that within a week, there will be an incidence of violence between two kids. Good point. Our data shows it. And so when we see the instances of horseplay jump up, we get our consultants into that home and say, hey, 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 teach to that, stop it early, or it's going to become this. 
Um, we also then randomly track, randomly survey our kids and our families for feedback about how we're doing. The number one indicator of quality, if you can only measure one thing, just sit down with the families, the communities, and the, the kids you serve and say, how are we doing? <laughs> are you getting better? <laughs> if 90 plus percent say they are, you got a good program. And if it's not 85, 90%, you stink and you need to change. Um, and that's, that's what you have to measure. Um, and then you measure the progress of the kids. Do they graduate from school? Do they stay on a rest-free? Um, how's their physical and mental health years after they leave your program? So that's what we track. How are you able to maintain contact so that you can do follow-up research, which, of course, in our field is one of the most difficult things oh. to do? It's a nightmare, but we're lucky because we have a national hotline that receives inbound calls, but those are rather random, and they tend to happen at night because um, mm-hmm. people get desperate. You know, so our hotline interrupted 500 suicides last year. Well, that suicides don't tend to happen at 10 in the morning. You know, that's right. 10 o'clock at night. So during 10 o'clock in the morning, we then give our inbound people a few calls to make to former clients and families to do random surveys, um, you know, six months, one year, two years, and even up to 16 years out, we do phone surveys. And honestly, people are happy to talk about their experience because you say, hey, we want to make the program better. Your feedback's going to help the next kid who gets our services. Please be honest. And they, they are. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We've discovered that. So we're lucky because we run this hotline. We've already spent the money to have those people sitting with the phone, and they can use the time efficiently that way. Fabulous. Now, we're going to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is our special guest, Father Stephen Bass, the National Executive Director of Boys Town. 
Before the break, Father Steve was describing how Boys Town continues a tradition of reinventing itself and how they've managed to raise and use a billion dollars for their endowment. Father Steve, many have said that it's a lot easier to get bigger than it is to get better. And you've consistently managed to both get bigger and better. Another part of Boys Town's reputation is connected to your ability to offer an integrated continuum of care. You referenced that earlier in this Mm -hmm. interview. I'd like to spend just a little bit more time talking about that because that's an important part, I believe, of how you've gotten better. Could you please talk to us about your integrated continuum of care and how you managed to make that happen? Well, the easiest way to understand an integrated continuum of care is to imagine it as a pyramid. And I'm going to speak only about the Boys Town levels of care, but really you could make this pyramid as large as you wanted to to include lots of other services that we don't offer, like adoption and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the top of the pyramid of care for us is our residential treatment center, our RTC. And if you walk in, i got to tell you, it looks a lot like a psych unit. This is a medically-based hospital unit, um, and it's locked. It's for kids who are a danger to themselves and others. So that is a small number of people, but they have a very high level of intervention. The -hmm. next level below that is residential care, which we call our treatment family home. Um, Then we have our intervention and assessment, which some people call shelters. Then we have foster care. Um, Then we have in-home services and other community-based services like parenting, school-based services, and things like that. Um, So we believe that what's important about a continuum of care is that the same philosophy of care permeates every level so that when a child or a family moves from level to level, they don't experience disruption or have to learn a new system or fill out a whole bunch of new paperwork. Mm -hmm. You want to try to make it easy for them to move across the system, but it has an additional benefit. Once staff are trained at a model at any level of care, you can move them across the United States to different sites and up and down levels of care within the same within the same organization, and they can get it quickly and begin helping families right away without a lot of retraining. So basically, you're talking about a philosophy of intervention and support mm-hmm. that is continuous along the line of services that you offer. Right. So we call it the Boys Town model, but it's it's really the the teaching family model, you know, upgraded for you know, in many many iterations since then, until have become the Boys Town model. So I mean, it's 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 more of a cognitive behavioral model. It's a it's um. We teach social skills. It's a strength-based model. You know, it's got lots of features. Um, But there are lots of other great models out there, too. And we think you could build a continuum based on any model as long as you're faithful and reproduce it at all your levels of care. Um, Again, the, the, the onus should be on you as a provider so that once you have a child in your care, whatever level they need, they move up or down levels of care as they need it, not as you need to fill a bed. Well, you have been referring throughout our interview today uh, of a lot of very interesting parts of what you do at Boys Town. And Mm -hmm. if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to parse out a couple of those things that you have referenced and give you an opportunity to talk a bit more in depth about them. For example, you operate a national hotline. Right. You know, can you describe that and tell us how that works? And you already alluded to the fact that 
you, your hotline operates one way, perhaps at night, and then there's mm-hmm. some other things that your hotline workers can do during the day. Why don't you talk a little bit about yeah. that? Well, all the levels of our continuum are now on an evidence-based list. In other words, some research has proven that this, this model works at this level. So our national hotline is unique. Um, and by the way, if anybody wants to call it, it's one 800 448 3,000. 1-800-448-3,000. And last year alone, we received 132,000 calls. Um, And we've engaged over 35,000 people in web chats. And Boystown.org website uh, has had over 2 million hits from parents and teens seeking advice. So we kind of try to it's not just the hotline, but it's sort of our way of offering free stuff through the hotline, through web chats, through our, our, our .org site, um, to people really looking for help at different levels. And there are trained counselors that either write the articles or will chat with you or talk to you on the call. The call. They'll use research-proven advice, and they'll either lead you to Boystown Services or whatever's available in your area. Um, and as I said, these are trained counselors. They interrupted and uh, saved about 500 people um, who were in the middle of committing suicide last year. Wow. That's just incredible. Yeah. You, we, have a, you, we have a great partner, too. Godfather's Pizza puts our 800 number on a, their pizza boxes across the United States and then provides some funding to keep the hotline open and running. They're a great, great organization that helps us. Fantastic. You also have a hospital. Yeah. Uh, who's the hospital for and how long has it been in existence? Well, the hospital exists only at one site here in Omaha, Nebraska. The Boys Town National Research Hospital was founded in 1977. And it's become recognized as a leader in um, clinical and research programs that they focus mostly on childhood deafness and visual impairment and then uh, things that are roughly called communication disorders. So we've developed this national medical program that's um, instituted in hospitals and clinics across the United States. So we develop models that other people use all over the United States. Now, this research that we do that creates these protocols um, have received more than $176 million in external funding, um, National Institute of Health, uh, mostly. And some of our achievements um, in communication disorders are that we've developed software for universal newborn hearing screening. Now, this is passive screening. You just put a device in the ear, and you can tell whether the child can hear or not. And now every child in the United States is screened very quickly after birth because um, the software makes it easy. We've developed better hearing aid technology and ways to fit hearing aids in infants and children. We've developed early early intervention models to help with language development for deaf and hard of hearing kids. Um, We've identified four of the 10 genes that cause Usher syndrome, um, which is where you're born or you start to go deaf and then you become blind. And two of the four genes now account for 70% of this Usher syndrome, and we're really getting close to understanding it very well. And then we have national proficiency tests for educational interpreters. Used to be you could just say that you were an interpreter and show up at a school system. Now we develop a national test to prove that you know what you're doing. And those are the kind of interventions we've done at the research hospital since its founding in 77. Fantastic. But I know that as an organization, you also do extensive research in mm-hmm. other areas. 
and uh, many uh, would be very, very interested to hear about the research that you do and about some of the results that you're picking up from your research. Could yeah. you share that with us? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. This One of the things that we've done for years, which I just talked about, is we do longitudinal studies of our kids. How do they do six months, two years, et cetera, um, so that we understand how our programs work in the real world in the long run. So we've been doing this research for many, many years in youth care, plus the research at the hospital. And we've found a new way for these worlds to come crashing together. <laughs> and uh, we're calling it... Nice metaphor. <laughs> yeah. We're calling it uh, the, neuro, uh, the Boys Town Center for Neurobehavioral Disorders. It's going to be really, really interesting. Um, We've discovered that in the United States, now, we have to be about big things at Boys Town because we, we have this big endowment and, you know, we have this big mission to change the system of care. One in five kids in the United States suffers from a severe behavioral or mental disorder. And, and this, is a, this is a serious issue for families. The human toll is amazing. I mean, my own family, we've had, you know, I've had nephews that have had to seek this kind of treatment. Um, our current strategic plan says, let's put together the expertise we have in research in healthcare, you know, that hear, mostly hearing research, with the expertise in youth care, which is more, you know, tracking uh, these behavioral cognitive methods, to develop better treatment options. To use this, um, we're going to use the functional MRI. Now, most people know what an MRI is, that big white donut that you see in a room that has no metal in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what it does is it uses magnetic waves to measure brain function. And the difference between a regular MRI that, um, and an fMRI, which is a three-Tesla MRI, is that the regular MRI would just take a static Polaroid of the brain, if you will. The fMRI is like a motion picture of the brain as it thinks. Mm-hmm. And so... It, Big universities have done the baseline studies, Harvard, Stanford, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Johns Hopkins. They now show, using an fMRI, what a depressed teen brain looks like, and we know what a not depressed, more normal functioning teenage brain looks like. What we've discovered extraordinarily is that very few people are doing research to show how an intervention can take the depressed brain and make it less depressed, moving towards health. Um, and what this is involves, you know, medical research um, for behavioral interventions. Um, so many kids are over-medicated right now. We find kids at the top level of care on eight or ten psychotropic medications. Sure. And it has horrible implications for this. Um, we've recruited a top expert in the field uh, from the National Institute of Mental Health, James Blair. He's coming to Boys Town. And we've raised about eight of the 15 million we need to fund this research. Um, and we have some promising initial results. For example, we've proven that depression can be treated using exercise. It looks like it's beginning to normalize brain function. That's something that we've known at Boys Town colloquially. You know, we, we know kids get better when they exercise. But we're going to begin to prove it using uh, fMRI research. And we're also finding very interestingly that there's a video game developed in Auckland, New Zealand that looks like it treats anxiety and depression pretty well. And guess no what? Kidding. Every kid wants to do this study. <laughs> yeah. Every kid on campus wants to sign up. So you have a lot of people wanting to comply with their treatment regime in this area. So there's some real new fun things we're looking at, as well as the you know traditional Boys Town interventions to see how they, or if they change the brain, if they work. 
And we really mm-hmm. also solve the problems of access and quality. Access, because if it's a medical intervention, then Medicaid and private insurance have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Quality, just like in all of medicine, if you don't prove that your brain of your patient changes, you don't get paid. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting future. Well, you know, I, I wonder, you, you've been talking data-based, and maybe now I'm just asking for you to share some of the conversations you might have had amongst yourselves with your staff. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it is that one in five are having behavioral health difficulties amongst our youth? You know, I think it's really complicated. I, I'm not so sure that kids are any different today. I think we're just a little better at picking up um, behavioral health problems. You know, there, we have way more labels for them than we used to. And I'm not so sure these are that, that useful of labels. Part of what I like about this fMRI research is it's very, very, you know, specific. And I would love the conversation to go from mental illness to a misfiring in the L3 portion of yeah. the prefrontal cortex. And now it's just like getting a meniscus tear fixed. Well, nobody thinks you're morally inferior for going to the doctor and getting a meniscus tear fixed. You know, you're a nice guy. But if you go for to see a psychologist, you're crazy. Well, these labels aren't helping. And so I think we've labeled kids a lot because it helps us to push them aside and not have to deal with their behaviors. Well, gosh, what a what an interesting series of thoughts. Uh, we're going to have to take a break. We'll come back and more thoughts ahead. Uh, please stick with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall. With me is our special guest, Father Stephen Bass, the National Executive Director of Boys Town. Before the break, Father Steve was describing how Boys Town continues the tradition of reinventing itself and how they've managed to raise a billion dollars. And we also have been talking about 
all the various things that Boys Town does that are really quite fascinating. Now, in this segment, Father, we, we normally move right into uh, asking you to give the advice that you have for the field. But before we do that, um, as I prepare questions for these interviews, um, I often ask uh, folks, I'm saying, you know, like, hey, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Father Stephen Bass from Boystown. Uh, what questions do you have? And I get from across the country, I get people who offer me suggestions. And one of the things that I was really quite surprised about is that a number of folks who don't happen to be from the Catholic faith tradition, uh, they're kind of fascinated by priests being involved in human service ministries. I, <laughs> I, had, a, I had a sense that most of the folks who were really fascinated by this, they really didn't realize that in the beginnings of our field, uh, most of the services that were offered were from faith-based organizations. But some folks wanted me to ask you um, if you ever find any kind of conflict with your role as priest and your role as executive director of a very large human service organization. Could you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, um, so far it's worked pretty well. Um, you know, I think that <laughs> some days better than others. Yeah, some huh? days. Uh, I think having the inspiration and the guidance of somebody like Father Flanagan that set up the culture um, really has helped. Um, so following somebody who's actually on the path to sainthood in the Catholic Church, his case is actually in Rome now, so the Pope has to look at it and then see if uh, two miracles can be attributed to his intercession. And um, So I think that helps a lot. But Father Flanagan set this place up as independent from the Catholic Church. So th- there is some, you know... Um, distance from the church in, in, in running this operation, as there are, I think, in many faith-based organizations. And so that, I think, gives us the ability to, to do things that, that others can't, um, like, you know, re- and allow ch- children to express their own faith and, or have no faith at all, which was mm-hmm. his tradition from the very beginning. So because of the way he was, I really don't find much conflict, because he, he really set it up right. He was a genius. Beautiful. Well, now we can move into uh, the part of this show uh, where I ask you to give advice to other leaders in the field. <laughs> uh, it's actually one of my favorite parts. Uh, what is the one thing that you've learned over the last 10 years, being the National Executive Director of Boys Town, that you believe is important for you to share with the field? You know, I think there's a lot written about leadership, but uh, for me... Um, the thing I, I, I try to do is to be inspiring. And that means that I need to spend at least 20% of my time with the kids, families, and communities we serve. When I travel across the United States, I get down into the weeds with the folks that we serve. I talk to the kids. I talk to their families. I go on visits to the, to the tough parts of town, and I hear the stories. Then I come back with those stories and, and tell them to our folks about how we're making a difference. I think being inspiring is one of the most important things. Um, and secondly, you really got to be good at recruiting talent. And I think if you are inspiring, you'll get talented people. Um, then when you got them, you hold them accountable, and you get out of their way. Here's your metrics. Here's the things you got to do, and go do it. You find your way to do it. I got my way, but that ain't important. Find your way. No, that's excellent. So, I I, I really agree that part of what we we as leaders are expected to do 
is to find the messages that are inspiring. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could just ask you, um, what kinds of messages, and I know you say, you know, be able to demonstrate that we're really helping kids and helping yeah. families, yeah. but what kinds of messages beyond that have you found that are really inspiring for folks? Well, you know, like that story I told of having dinner in the home and having the kids, you know, shocked that they used to not have any contact with their with their families or very little. Um, but I, I tell you, I, I tell you, an inspiring one. One of my nephews um, was came to Boys Town, and he just came back. Uh, he's now in college, doing real well. He came back for a football game, and uh, guy, he's gained fifty pounds of muscle. He's taller than me now, and he's doing great. And I think he's going to spend his life probably helping kids. And that's inspiring. I tell his sure story to people. And that's, that what, that's what gets them to get up in the morning and do this work every day. Um, stories like that. Outstanding. Well, this is one we always ask, and it's important because obviously it's a critical element of change leadership in today's world. Uh, is there something that you learned as a result of a mistake that you might have made, something mm-hmm. that helped you to become better than you were before that mistake. Right. So in our first strategic plan when we were building this continuum of care and advocating for it, both at the local, state, and national level, we vastly underestimated how much pushback there would be to this notion of an integrated continuum. Now I swear, you, everywhere you go, it's being written into legislation. Yes. So it's not just us. Other people are advocating for it as well. But um, we realized that we didn't have a function for advocacy. It was just supposed to be something we did in our spare time. And what we did then was repurpose one of our top executives, um, um, Dr. Jerry Davis, who's a genius at advocacy and public policy. I agree. We said, your job is public policy. You're going to go to Washington. You're going to go to the sites and help influence state legislature, even here in Nebraska. And we're going to push for this integrated continuum because we think it's the right thing. Not just so that we get contracts, but so that kids are cared for in the right way, which is what we really care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our contracts aren't important. It's changing the American system of care. And advocacy had to be a part of that, and we didn't. It wasn't in the plan. We tweaked it about a year in and made it a part of the plan. Well, let's, let's go one step further then. Let's talk about strategic planning mm-hmm. and advice that you might offer. Uh, because... Strategic planning really is a process of trying to identify the options, you know, and then helping you to choose which of those options you should pick. And offer some advice because obviously you've spent 10 years in the weeds of strategic planning. So what have you learned? Well, what we've learned is that you really need an outside expert to lead you in this process. You can't see your own blind spots. So we were lucky enough to find this organization called Bridgespan. But in your own local area, you don't, you know, if you have a local partner who does business planning for large corporations, as long as they're willing to translate to the nonprofit world, that will really help you to form a good plan. The, the business world knows how to do this. They have metrics. They have benchmarks. They have, you know, uh, goalposts, and you hit it or you don't. Um, now, theirs is about making money. Ours is about changing the lives of kids and families and communities. Um, right. That kind of technology is what's needed to do a good strategic plan. Well, outstanding. Then finally, one last question. <laughs> <laughs> 
please offer some advice on what we should do if we want to get bigger and better at the same time. I think in some ways it's simple. First, you have to find the funds to invest in research. We're so lucky with this big endowment to be able to do that. But I don't care what it takes. Find the money to invest in research. Look at the field to improve what you're currently doing. Make sure you have a strong model of care based on research, that it's evidence-based. Then start measuring fidelity to that model you've chosen. And then test your real-world outcomes, especially by asking people, how are we doing? If you do that, you'll have a quality program that makes a difference, and you'll, you'll keep winning contracts even when the um, other people don't. Well, what is so strong about your recommendation is that my research across this country is telling me that folks who are purchasing services don't want to buy services anymore. They want to buy results. And what you're describing is exactly the way that all of us need to consider thinking about what we do. Mm -hmm. If we are not measuring our results and making adjustments on an ongoing basis around whether or not we're getting the results we're supposed to get, Mm -hmm. then we really aren't preparing for a successful future. Yeah, we love it, for example, in Iowa, where we have performance-based contracting. Um, Iowa pays us, I don't know, something like... 85% of our costs up front just for doing the service. But you don't get that last 15% unless you hit certain marks. The family has to stay out of uh, in, the kids have to stay in the home successfully. They have to be progressing in school. Um, they have to have a, a health exam and be doing well physically, um, emotionally. They have to have you know be you know getting along with their folks. You measure certain things and then you get paid the full amount if you meet those goals, and you don't if you don't. Well, that's that's the wave of the future for all yeah. of us, and it's as it should be. Yeah. Because results are what we're all about. We don't deliver services. We need to be able to produce the results. Well, my good friend, you have been a wonderful, wonderful guest, well, and you. I'm very grateful. Uh, but that's all the time that we have for this episode of Leadership Matters. I, I want to thank you, Father Stephen Bates, for uh, being with us today and sharing all these thoughts. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. Please join us again when we have our next episode of Leadership Matters. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.